That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Common Sense with Dr. Ben Carson. I'm your host, Ben Carson, and I'm very pleased to have a special guest today. We have Brigitte Gabriel, and she is a national security analyst, a New York Times bestseller, chairman of actforamerica.org, and her latest bestseller is called Rise in defense of Judeo-Christian values and freedom. And it's wonderful to have you here, Brigitte, sharing your powerful personal story of growing up during the Civil War in Lebanon, living in Israel, coming to the United States. You've seen things from lots of different perspectives, and we're very anxious to hear about it. So welcome to the program. Thank you, Dr. Carson. Thank you for having me on the show. I have immense respect and admiration for you. Well, thank you. And, you know, you have an amazing story. And I think it's important for people to hear what it was like for you growing up during the Lebanon Civil War. Do you remember much of that? Oh my goodness. Once you grow up as a victim of war, it scars you for life. And that's why I dedicated my life to fighting evil. You see, I was born and raised in Lebanon uh, in an idyllic childhood um, to parents who were married for a long time. My parents were married for over 22 years. They couldn't have any children. And finally, I show up to their life as a miracle in their life. I had a great life. My parents were retired by the time I was born. I was truly living the, uh, the, the Lebanese dream in a country where we were uh, majority Christian. We were open-minded. We were fair. We were tolerant. We were multicultural. We prided ourselves on our multiculturalism. We had open borders. We welcomed everyone from the surrounding countries because we wanted to share with them the, the, the westernization we had created in the heart of the Middle East. Lebanon became known as Paris of the Middle East. The banking cap of the Middle East. Unfortunately, Dr. Carson, we imported people into our country because of our open-heartedness and open-mindedness and, you know, wanting to do good. We imported refugees into our country who did not share our values. Uh, The Palestinian refugees, Lebanon was the only country to accept the third wave of Palestinian refugees that none of the Arabic countries wanted them. 
We took them in. Once they came in, they put their heads together with the Muslims in Lebanon and started fighting the Christians. Is that the reason that so many other countries are reluctant to accept Palestinian refugees? Yes. I mean, look, they see what they have done to Lebanon. They see what they tried to do in Jordan. King Jordan, uh, King uh, Hussein of Jordan, uh, expelled, bulldozed 30,000 of them because once they got to Jordan, they tried to do an insurrection on him. They were causing him problems. So finally, he cracked down on them, butchered 30,000 of them, and the rest he expelled and they came to Lebanon. And so, and look what they did to Lebanon. Today, Lebanon is a terrorist hub controlled by Hezbollah, a terrorist organization. And, um, you know, and, and, and they destroy everywhere they go. And that's exactly now when you're looking at the Arabic countries. Egypt doesn't want them. Jordan doesn't want them. Syria doesn't want them. Saudi Arabia. I mean, all these Arabic countries with vast land where they can take all the people from Gaza, um, you know, build houses for them. Obviously, the, the oil-rich Middle East is not lacking money. Um, but they don't want to do that because the Palestinians cause problems everywhere they go. My 9-11 happened to me in 1975 when Palestinian radical Islamists, just like Hamas, uh, blew up my home, bringing it down, burying me under the rubble wounded. I ended up in a hospital for two and a half months and later ended up living in a bomb shelter underground in an eight by 10 room without electricity, without water and very little food. And that's where I lived for the next seven years of my life from the age of 10 till the seven age of 17, years. robbed of my youth. Oh my goodness, that was horrible. I mean, it must've been hard just finding water, huh? Uh, exactly. I mean, you know, we were trapped underground. Uh, thank God. I lived in a town called Marjayun, the Valley of Springs. We had seven springs in our town. So to get some water, my mother and I would crawl under snipers bullets in a ditch to the nearby spring. It used to take, you know, five minutes to walk. It would take us two hours crawling under snipers bullets. And every time we left our bomb shelter, we would say our last goodbyes because we did not know if we're going to come back alive or dead just to get a drink of water. And I remember getting to the spring, my mother using her stocking on top of the gallon to catch all the junk and all the rocks and all the dirt so we can drink the water. Uh, this became my existence to get some salad, some greenery. We would crawl out under the bombs and dig out different dandelions and different greenery that grew around our bomb shelter. It was the only salads we had to eat. Uh, the Palestinians cut off, uh, you know, the Islamists cut off all the water supplies to our town, cut off electricity, cut off everything. I remember in the beginning of the war, Dr. Carson, my father used to say, well, the whole world is going to wake up and see what's happening to the Christians in Lebanon, the massacres. One of the most famous massacres in Lebanon, the Palestinians, right at the beginning of the war, massacred a whole city called the city of the Moor, where the Christians hid in the church thinking, you know, they're not going to slaughter us in the church. The Palestinians got to the town. They slit people's throats. They stabbed pregnant women, cut their stomach open, took the babies out. They crucified Christian men on the crosses. They would cut their private parts and stick it in their mouth. They did then what Hamas did to Israel, to Israelis on October 7th. Nothing has changed. 
And my father used to say, the world is going to wake up and see what the radical Islamists are doing to the Christians in Lebanon. America is going to come. Britain is going to come. Australia is going to come. Canada is going to come. France is going to come. All these big Christian countries. And nobody came. And I remember, Dr. Carson, three years into our ordeal, being in our bomb shelter, one of our Christian militia friends stopped by and he said, Brigitte, I just want you to know that we heard a lot of chatter on the radios. And he said, I don't think we're going to be able to hold the town any longer tonight. And he said, if I don't see you tomorrow, I wish you a merciful death. And I remember, Dr. Carson, dressing in my Sunday best, my Easter dress, waiting to be slaughtered because I wanted to look pretty when I am dead, knowing that when they come to slaughter me, there would be no one to bury me. And I remember begging my mother, who was there combing my long black hair down to my hips, tying a white ribbon in my hair. And I remember sobbing, begging her, I don't want to die. I'm only 13 years old. Please do something. And there was nothing my mother could say to me. And I remember sitting in the corner of our bomb shelter. We had a ceasefire for two hours. And my father opened up the Bible and started reading from Psalms. I shall walk into the valley of death and fear no evil, for thou art with me. And my parents looked at me and they said, we live the long life. You are an only child. We will create a distraction when they come for us. We want you to run towards the Israeli border. Just run as fast as you can and don't look back. You see, we lived two and a half miles from the Israeli border next to Metula on the north. And we knew if as Christians, if we go to the Jews and beg for help, the Jews are not going to slaughter us because we had more shared values with them than we had with the Palestinian Muslims. And thank God I didn't what have was to make going on? What, what was going on in Israel at that time? At that time, you know, the Israelis were just fine. So a few people from my town went to the Israeli border and said, look, they're going to be at your fence within 48 hours unless you help us out. So Israel started coming physically into Lebanon and set up the security zone. This is the area in Lebanon where I lived and put artillery bases on the hills surrounding our towns to prevent the Palestinians from coming into our area. And this went on for another five years. And that's when Syria got involved in the war and they started shelling Israel, all the northern towns in, in northern Israel uh, from Lebanese territories, calling it the Lebanese resistance. We had nothing to do with it. It was all the foreign Islamists who came to Lebanon to fight with the Palestinians, to kill the Jews and drive them into the sea. So they were shelling the towns like Kiryat Shmona, Metula, the same towns they are shelling today. And that drove Israel to invade Lebanon, just like what they're doing now in Gaza, to invade Lebanon, working with the Christians in Lebanon to push out the radical Palestinians headed by Yasser Arafat all the way out of Lebanon and into Tunisia. And that's how we came out of the bomb shelter and back to rebuilding our lives. Wow. Well, when did you actually get out of Lebanon yourself? I ended up moving to Israel, becoming a news anchor for World News in Israel back in 1984. And I worked in Israel from 1984 till 1989, working as news anchor for World News in the Middle East, watched all over the Middle East every single night. And I would work in Jerusalem from Monday through Friday, and I would drive up to Lebanon. I had dual residences uh, to take care of my parents because I'm an only child. And as a matter of fact, we got to a 
a point where the Christians in Lebanon wanted to have peace with Israel and Christians in Lebanon would drive their cars to visit Israel and visit Jerusalem in their cars into Israel. And when I worked in Jerusalem, I remember we had the Lebanese embassy that the Christian um, section in Lebanon uh, opened up right across from the Knesset. And I would go there and I would have dinners and I would spend evenings there. We were hoping to be able to have peace with Israel. So knowing that the Syrians and the Iranians who had gotten involved in the war in Lebanon assassinated President-elect Bashir Jemayel, knowing that his first order of business was going to sign a peace treaty with Israel, once they assassinated him, the Christians fractured and we could no longer move forward with the peace treaty with Israel. I lived in Israel and worked there until 1989. And in 1989, I, I had met an American worker respondent, got married, and that's how I ended up coming to the United States in 1989, thinking I left all the crazies behind. But September 11th uh, <laughs> proved all that wrong. Wow. Well, that's quite a perspective that you have there. What, what kind of propaganda was coming out of the Lebanese government as the terrorists began to take over? Uh, oh, my goodness. I mean, uh, well, even during the war, when the war was raging in Lebanon, Yasser Arafat was controlling all the media in Lebanon. Nothing got out unless it was approved by the Palestinians, uh, by the Palestinian uh, Yasser Arafat and his cronies. So the world was not getting the real picture about the true nature of the war in Lebanon. We were the tip of the spear. And that's how Iran looked at Lebanon back in 1983. And and saw all these Islamic factions in Lebanon, and they said, hmm, we're going to take them all, and we're going to group them into one party, and we're going to call it Hezbollah, the party of Allah. And we're going to fund them, and we're going to build them. And that's how Iran organized Hezbollah, which is now controlling Lebanon. And, of course, all the Lebanese, all the Muslim propaganda, because by the time I became a teenager, the Muslims had become the majority in Lebanon. And all you hear is Israel is the devil, Israel, Israel. That was the nickname for Israel, the name of Satan. Um, you know, obviously, in the security zone where I grew up, we were Christians and we were working with the Israelis. That's how we stayed alive. We knew that was not true. But when you talk to Lebanese children today, when you, after 20 years of brainwashing by Hezbollah, uh, Hezbollah has completely brainwashed Lebanese to think that Israelis are basically demons. They need to be killed. They need to be destroyed. And this is the same level of propaganda that is now uh, perpetrated all throughout the Middle East. There are now cartoons in Arabic, uh, Mickey Mouse, the Mickey Mouse Club in Arabic uh, that encourages Palestinian children to blow themselves up to kill Jews. This is like an honorable thing to do. They, they have painted the Jews as absolute monsters that need to be killed. Wow. I mean, you really bring it to life. <laughs> it's so awful. And I don't think anybody, I don't think most Americans had any idea what what's really going on over there because the way the coverage was done. That's but, right. Um, and not only they do not know the details, they don't even know the history. You know, our own young children in America today, all these nitwits demonstrating on the streets in New York and Los Angeles and everywhere around, you know, uh, free Gaza, free Gaza. Look, Israel withdrew out of Gaza in 2005. 
every last shoulder. Actually, their settlers, their people there didn't even want to leave. The army, the Israeli army went against its own people, dragging people out, kicking and screaming. Not only they dragged their own people out of Gaza, but Israel dug out the tombs of Israelis who were buried in Gaza because they knew what the Palestinians are going to do. They're going to desecrate the, the cemeteries. So Israel dug out the dead took with them the bones of Israelis dead in Gaza. So by 2005, by the end of 2005, there wasn't even any Israelis in Gaza dead or alive. Israel handed Gaza to the Palestinian, complete sovereignty, complete control, completely independent, and said, okay, here it is. You have industry. By the time Israel left Gaza, uh, the, the Israelis were exporting 50 million flowers. In 2004, 50 million flowers were exported out of Gaza to the world. Tomatoes, peppers, vegetables. The Israelis had turned Gaza into an oasis. So they left and they left the Palestinians, all the greenhouses, I know an Israeli, uh, I know a Jewish gentleman, very lefty, in New York who raised $14 million and gave it to the Palestinians because he wanted the Palestinians to start a new life with money already, with base capital to operate the greenhouses. And what did the Palestinians do? Dr. Carson, within 24 hours, they burned 126 synagogues, destroyed the greenhouses, and even stole the copper out of the faucets in the greenhouses. These people shoot themselves in the foot time and again and again and again. Because they're driven by hate. And hate overrides logic and common sense. That's right. And that's exactly why I named my first book, Because They Hate. A survivor of Islamic terror warns America. And I encourage people, if you have not read that book, it sold over a million copies. It's a New York Times bestseller. You have to read that book in order for you to understand what's happening in the Middle East now and how that affects us here in the United States. Wow. We have to take a brief break. We'll be right back in one minute. Stay with us with our fascinating guest, Brigitte Gabriel. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. We're talking to Brigitte Gabriel, national best-selling author, national security advisor, 
telling us some of her amazing story about growing up in Lebanon and some of the history behind the Lebanese Civil War and uh, what's happening with Palestinians and why maybe some people aren't that anxious to take them in, uh, secondary to some of the behavior that is driven by hate. It's all extremely interesting. But, um, you know, I'm just wondering what happened to Gaza. I mean, they had reasonable rule compared to what they have with uh, Hamas. How did the people get snookered into putting Hamas in charge? Look, Hamas is the Palestinians in Gaza. You know, Hamas is not some isolated virus that flew through the breeze and somehow latched on some tree in Gaza. When the Palestinians held the first election in 2006 after Israel withdrew, remember, they gave them the territory. They said, here it is. The world gave them money. They poured money into them. Israel took out, took out their debt and they told the Palestinians, okay, here you go. Now you can govern yourselves. So the Palestinian held an election. One of the first cabinet members that ran for election and won was a woman by the name Omnidal, the mother of the resistance. And she got her nickname because she posed, she did a video with three of her sons strapped. She was helping them dressed with their suicide vest to go blow themselves up as suicide bombers at Israel. And they did, and they died and she was celebrated as a hero in, in, in Gaza. She ran on the platform as, I gave three th sons to die. I have another seven to give. That's why she was elected. Those are the Palestinians that elected Hamas. That is the face of Hamas. Somehow in our mind, when we think Hamas, we're thinking ISIS. We're thinking these guys, you know, wrapped with things around their heads, running around with dresses over pants in the desert. This is our idea of a terrorist. We're not thinking of a mother who dressed her three sons in a suicide vest, sent them to blow themselves up, had a wedding, handing out candy when she got the news of their death. And then she ran on the platform of, I have another seven to kill. Because we in the West don't think like that. Our brain doesn't operate like that. We, we value life. I would die a million times before anybody touches a hair on my children's head. I will give up my life to protect a hair on my grandchildren's head. They don't think about it that way. And that's exactly why now the heads of Hamas are coming and giving interviews saying, hey, Russia gave 20 million people for their liberty. The Chinese gave 70 million people to have their liberty. We can sacrifice our millions, talking about the millions of innocents who are now in Gaza, when asked about, you know, why you're not letting people escape Gaza. And he's talking about, this is a price of war. I mean, collateral damage, and there will be collateral damage, and people are going to die, but that's the price of resistance. They have no value for life. Well, is, is there, as much of the media portrays, a large group of Palestinians who are reasonable, peaceful people, and they're being dominated by Hamas, which is not reasonable and peaceful. Is, is that a true picture or is there something else going on? That's not a true picture. They are peaceful Palestinians 
who are not raiding and did not participate in the October 7th attack, but they support Hamas 100%. They hate the Jews so much. And actually the news that's not coming out now is what's happening in the West Bank. That's the real story. They have had now over 200 people dead, clashes between Palestinians and the Palestinian Authority because the Palestinians want the Palestinian Authority to be like Hamas and they are pledging saying, if you have a rifle, because, you know, they have a rifle, they shoot it at weddings, you know, in celebration. They said, if you have a rifle, you either join Hamas or you donate your rifle to Hamas. I mean, this is what they're saying in, in, in the West Bank now, not just Gaza. So we in the West have this idea of all oh, these peaceful people. And yes, there are the peaceful people who are not going to go out and blow themselves up, who are not going to participate in raids. But they support Hamas and what Hamas stands for, killing the Jews and wiping them off the map from the river to the sea. All the Palestinians support that statement, whether it's Rashida Tlaib in Congress, whether it's CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations, with chapters all over the United States, whether it's any Palestinian anywhere in the world, from the river to the sea means wiping the Jews off the map and throwing them in the sea and declaring all the land as Palestinian land. Well, what about the relationship between Hamas and Fatah? Well, the relationship between Hamas and Fatah, look, Fatah is not respected. Uh, they basically are the same, except Fatah doesn't have the courage that Hamas has. So Hamas is more belligerent. Hamas wants to control not just Gaza, but the West Bank, control all the Palestinians. What's happening with Fatah is they have pocketed millions of dollars in their pockets, and they are getting rich living the good life. Uh, Hamas took the money that they received, and they built tunnel with it. Hamas built tunnel infrastructure. This is what most people don't realize, Dr. Carson. The tunnel infrastructure in Gaza is bigger than the subway system in New York City. Now, this is putting it into perspective. People don't realize what Hamas invested into their tunnel system to kill Israel instead of investing in schools, in hospitals, in universities. They could have turned Gaza into Singapore. So this is exactly why the Palestinians in the West Bank are looking at what's happening in Gaza at Hamas. They want to join Hamas against their own Palestinian authority. Wow. Well, it sounds like uh, Hamas is not really interested in governing. They're just interested in destruction. Is, That's right. Is that it? Is that fair to say? That's right. Destroying the state of Israel. They do not want a two-state solution. They do not want to live side by side in peace with Israel. If they wanted to do that, they could have done that in 2006. Look, this is almost tw uh, 20 years, 18 years. They could have had Singapore uh, built in Gaza, but they don't want to do that. They spend the money on bombs, ammunition, train military training, building tunnels. They don't want to live side by side with the Jews. And the Hamas charter, the Hamas charter specifically calls for killing all the Jews. And that's that's the, the thing that Westerners cannot wrap their mind around. Because in our mind, you know, as Westerners, we think, well, why would anybody want war? I mean, you know, once you can live side by side and have the nice house, you know, and the four bedroom house and a Mercedes in your driveway and a swimming pool in the backyard and be able to take a cruise once a year and go on vacation. In our mind, in our Western mind, it's like, well, if you can have that, why would you want to have war? 
We don't think in the terms of revenge. Islam is built on revenge. Once Muslims occupy a land, it is always Muslim lands. And in the mind of Hamas, Israel used to be Muslim land. It has to be liberated. It is now in the hands of the enemy. And they will not rest until they take all of Israel, not just Gaza, Gaza and the West Bank. And by the way, most people don't realize when the Palestinian uh, Liberation Organization was founded, the PLO, headed by Yasser Arafat, the PLO was founded in 1964, three years before Israel got Gaza and the West Bank. So why would the PLO were founded? Gaza at that time was Egypt. Egyptian flags were flying over Gaza. It wasn't called occupied territories. It was Egypt. The West Bank was in the hands of Jordan. Jordanian flag was flying over Al-Aqsa Mosque and, and, and Jerusalem. It wasn't Palestine. So how come they were not screaming about the occupied territories? What the Palestinians did when they founded the PLO back in 1964 was to liberate all the land from the Jews, meaning kicking Israel out of whatever little Israel was before they got Gaza and the West Bank. That's their goal. That's what we need to understand in the West. That's why Israel has to do whatever it has to do to defend itself. Well, why is it that they won't acknowledge the fact that Israel had that land for thousands of years before they were expelled? Uh, because the Palestinians, according to their rules, yeah, according the to their rules, that's Israel history. Uh, and you know, they say when you tell a lie long enough, it becomes truth. The Palestinians have been telling lies over and over and over from generation to generation. This is why when you meet a lot of Palestinians today, they're walking around with a necklace that has a key. The key represents the key to their home in Jerusalem. The key to their home. You've been living in Jordan. You were born and raised in Jordan. Your children are raised in Jordan or in Australia or in America. I mean, I was at the mall uh, about a few months ago, six months ago, and I was at the counter in Dillard's, you know, buying makeup. And the lady there was a Palestinian. She was wearing a necklace around her neck with a key. And I'm like, oh, where are you from? She's like, I'm from Palestine. I'm from Jerusalem. And she, she's like, and this is my key to my house. And I'm looking at this lady. Fluent English, born in the United States. Her parents came here. Uh, they worked here. She was born here. Yet she still considers herself a Palestinian and introduces herself as a Palestinian. Wow. That's, that's fascinating. Well, what do you think about the media coverage in our country of the whole situation? It seems like they don't know a lot, a lot or are they just in the tank for the wrong side? The media is in the tank for the wrong side, Dr. Carson. You and I know this. I mean, look how they came after you, attacking you, attacking me, attacking any conservative, attacking anybody to the right. The media has been brainwashed. And, you know, in my book, Because They Hate, titled Because They Hate, I discuss how the brainwashing started happening at the university, brainwashing our students who are today the news anchor, the news reporters. And it all started back in the 60s when we introduced the Title VI program. And we introduced Title VI program after World War II to help American students who wanted to study about foreign governments and worldviews in order for them, for those who want to get into the diplomatic field so they can be very well equipped to represent America. So we introduced the Title VI program. 
What happened with the oil wealth is they are using the Title VI program to fund universities with the oil-rich Middle East to set up Middle East study departments and political science departments and appointing Arab professors who are anti-Israel and anti-America to brainwash the students. So all these students graduating for the last 20 years out of our universities, 20 year plus, who have been fed a steady diet of hate and resentment against Israel against America are today the bureau chiefs, the news anchors, the news reporters, the news writers, the producers. And this is why you are getting such skewed ideas of world policy, world events. They have rewritten history. And so when you watch the media today, not only they are complicit in what's happening. I mean, look, they, they had Palestinians embedded with Hamas uh, shooting the videos. Now, I firmly believe that they did not know about it ahead of time because, you know, the Palestinians are not going to send the word to the New York Times or to the BBC saying, look, there's going to be an operation tomorrow and we're going to invade Israel. So that's why the pictures only started coming out after they were shooting it. But even the journalists on the ground in the Middle East, especially in Arabic countries, are basically members of whatever political party they are covering. And that's how we were able to see the early footages, the early footage that came out of Gaza and the massacre of uh, October 7th because Palestinian sympathizers and Palestinian members working as free journalists, as freelance journalists, went in with Hamas. Well, the, the squad and Rashida Tlaib and these people, they say they're not pro-Hamas, they're pro-Palestinian. What's the difference? If they are pro-Palestinians, how come she has not been screaming about all the money that Hamas received, and yet they have not built one school. They have not built one bomb shelter to protect their civilians in case they get into bombing with Israel. They have not built uh, any technology. All the money went, millions of dollars went into building tunnels. Rashida Tlaib should be livid with the Palestinian, with Hamas, who stole that money instead of improving Palestinian lives and to making them live in squalor. If they live in squalor in Gaza, it's not because the world did not give them money. It's not because UNICEF did not offer them assistance. It's not because the United Nations did not stand for them. If they live in squalor, it's because their own leaders have become mega millionaires and billionaires living in Europe in major villas and also in the Arabic world while their people are living in squalor because they have no respect and no value for their own people. Wow. Well, tell me, are you in favor of the call for ceasefire? No, absolutely not. The ceasefire is only going to help Hamas, not Israel. Israel right now is within one kilometer of Hamas's headquarter and command center, which is built underneath the Shifa hospital. Again, they built their headquarters under the biggest hospital in Gaza, the Shifa hospital. So Israel is within one kilometers of that hospital. They need to let Israel finish the job and do what they are doing. Can you imagine if people demonstrated across the globe right after September 11th telling the United States, you need to stop bombing Afghanistan, we need a ceasefire. I mean, 
Who are we or anybody else to tell Israel what to do? I mean, when, when, remember when Prince Bandar bin Talal, the Saudi prince, gave Giuliani $10 million right after September 11th to help, you know, with whatever. And Rudy Giuliani told him, you can take it and shove it where the sun doesn't shine. You don't tell us how we conduct our foreign policy because Prince Bandar bin Talal was telling Giuliani, well, you know, September 11th happened because of America's policy towards the Middle East and specifically towards Israel. I mean, who are we to tell Israel whether they should be a ceasefire or not? I think Blinken, I think Biden are over their heads. They have no idea what they're talking about. Nobody should tell Israel what to do. And good for the Israelis. They need to keep on doing what is best for Israel. They represent their own country. We don't live in, uh, uh, there. You and I are not living in Sderot. Biden is not living in Sderot or in any area or in Tel Aviv or in Metula or in Kiryat Shmona. So when you're not living in Israel, you have no right to tell the people who are defending themselves how, where, and when they can defend themselves and what they need to do to protect their population. Absolutely. And Israel's being demonized by so many people. I would love to see them just say, what is your solution if we want to preserve the Israel state and the Israeli people and keep them safe? What is your alternative solution? Because they don't have an alternative solution. No, their alternative solution is kill the Jews. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and that's exactly why, Dr. Carson, we, my organization, actforamerica.org, and I want people watching this interview, if my message resonates with you, go to actforamerica.org. Right on the banner of the website, we have a petition, I stand with Israel. We need to keep pressure on our elected officials because my philosophy is if they're not willing to see the light, we have to make them feel the heat. We need to keep the pressure on them to stand with Israel, to support Israel. We also have an Act Now campaign to block any Palestinian refugees from Gaza to enter the United States. The last thing we need is unvetted Palestinians that we have no idea who they are. We know they elected Hamas. We do not need them in the country. Go to actforamerica.org, take action on our Act Now campaigns, and help us uh, defend the country and stand up for freedom. Join us, become a member, sign up to get our emails and action alerts. We need to come together and understand that Israel's enemy is our enemy because what starts with the Jews never ends with the Jews. I was born and raised in the Middle East. We have a saying in the Middle East, First comes Saturday, then comes Sunday. First we kill the Jews, then we come for the Christians. If you are a Christian in the Middle East, you have lived all your life memorizing that because we know what they have done to us. They massacred the Armenians in Turkey at the beginning of the century. They massacred the Lebanese. They massacred the Christians. Look what ISIS did to the Yazidis. Look what happened to the Christians in Iraq. Where are the Christians in Iran? The Christians in Syria, the Christians in Egypt. We have to understand what starts with the Jews never ends with the Jews. The same enemies demonstrating right now against Israel are going to turn against us, and they are the enemy within right here in the United States. Go to actforamerica.org right now. Take action and join us. And I encourage everybody to really look at that website and get involved and understand what's going on because there's a lot of manipulation that's going on. And is it fair to say, in your opinion, that uh, Hezbollah is really controlling Lebanon now and is 
a proxy for Iran. And we need to understand that uh, those are our real enemies. That's where, that's where everything is coming from. And it seems like uh, maybe our administration is just like Mr. Magoo, <laughs> just wandering through and <laughs> not paying attention to what's going on. Uh, it really is a little bit disturbing. It is disturbing yeah. and scary, Dr. Carson, because Iran, this is a fight against Iran. Hezbollah would be nothing and Hamas would be nothing without Iran. Iran funded the whole operation uh, of Hamas in Gaza. Uh, they met in Iran. They trained in Iran. They trained in Lebanon. They met in Lebanon. And this is a perfect example. To give you an idea, Hamas is dangerous, but Hezbollah is lethal. And here's why. Hamas is a militia group. They're not an army. Hezbollah is an army. It has structure. It has a pecking order. It has leadership. It has funding. It has uh, training. Hezbollah is the proxy army of Iran in the Middle East. Hezbollah is funded by Iran. Hezbollah has 150,000 missiles in southern Lebanon directed at Israel, spread throughout 40 towns in southern Lebanon. Not only they have missile technology, which is very dangerous because they can overwhelm the, the Iron Dome in Israel. You know, the Iron Dome can detect one, two, three, four missiles at a time. The Iron Dome cannot, de cannot stop 500 missiles fired at the same time towards Israel. They can do a lot of damage. And what's even more dangerous with Hezbollah is Hezbollah has anti-warship missiles. And so they can attack our warships in the Mediterranean. That's why America sent our warships to stand up in force and show Hezbollah, don't you dare get involved in this war. Hezbollah also has drone that can be mounted with munition that can be dropped on our ships and on our locations throughout the Middle East. And all the, 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 the weapons to Hezbollah is coming from Iran through Syria into Israel. And that's why Israel bombed the airport in Aleppo, bombed Syria, bombed seven trucks carrying ammunition uh, to Lebanon um, for Hezbollah from Iran. That's the danger of Iran. Look, both, both organizations would not exist without Iran. Iran wants us to get into war. They look at the senile Biden administration as a one-year window of opportunity for all the bad actors, by the way, not just Iran, for China's looking at Biden, uh, Russia's looking at Biden, um, North Korea, Iran. They know they have one year window of opportunity for all the bad actors to do the, whatever they want to do because they know senile Biden is not going to do anything. America is a paper tiger. This is not President Trump they're dealing with. So they know there's not going to be any ramification. And that's why up to this interview, Dr. Carson, when you and I are talking, there has been 47 attacks against our bases and troops by Iran against our troops in, in the Middle East since this war started on October 7th. What have we done? Responded twice. I mean, it's unbelievable. So they know there is no ramification. And that gives us a perfect excuse to really do what needs to be done. But uh, I agree with you. There doesn't seem to be the guts to, to do what needs to be done. And no. then they're going to be all wringing their hands when they see what is carried out and what's going to be carried out in this country. Because believe me, if those terrorists are not coming through our open southern border and planning something, they are guilty of terrorist malpractice. And I'm sure they're not guilty of that. I'm sure they are here planning. And we're just sitting here like uh, Mr. and Mrs. Magoo or whatever. And it really is very frightening. 
but at least some people are starting to talk about it now. But we will be right back in another minute with our last segment with our fascinating guest. Stay with us. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And we're back with common sense. And as I've said many times, common sense is no longer common. It doesn't seem to be in our government for sure. Uh, but we're working hard to bring it back. And uh, we have Brigitte Gabriel with us. Uh, I know this has been fascinating listening to her. But uh, I got to ask you, Brigitte, why do you think there's so much support, particularly in the Democratic Party, for the enemies of Israel. This is the mind boggling thing. You know, it started with the, the growth of these groups that hate Israel. The Jewish, 80% of the Jewish community who supports the Democratic Party, let's face it, 80% of the Jewish community funds the Democratic Party. And they Which are is a good mystery. people with good hearts who want to make the world a better place. They believe in goodness in people. And they underestimated, they did not believe that Black Lives Matter could be against them. They gave excuses after excuse. They could not believe that all these students that who attend universities, who study in the same halls that carry the name Cohen and, you know, Stein and, and the whatever hall, you know, every third building in any university across the United States is paid for unfunded by Jewish donors. The Jewish donors never thought funding all these Democrats and Black Lives Matter and all these freedom fighters like the Antifa crowds, they never thought that these people actually could turn against them like that. And the true friends of Israel who are standing with Israel are basically the groups that the leftist Jewish segment in our society detested. People like you and I, the Christians, the conservative, they called us right-wingers, white supremacists, uh, uh, you know, homophobe, xenophobe. You know, if we wanted secure borders, they called us anti-brown people. If we wanted, um, you know, immigration control, they called us racist. They slapped a label on anybody. I mean, look what the Southern Poverty Law Center did to you, did to me. You know, they slap a label on anybody that does not agree with them. And when you think of the Southern Poverty Law Center, majority Jewish, 
funded by Jewish people. So I think the Jewish community is up for a rude awakening right now. I think they are waking up and they are realizing what? Black Lives Matter is marching with the Palestinians, saying from the river to the sea, Palestine should be free, Gaza should be free. Uh, they, they, they posted on their Facebook the logo of a, of a paraglider coming into Israel to commit the massacre on September uh, on October 7th. So I think there is a, a split within the Democratic Party right now. I think a lot of the Jewish donors who fund the Democratic Party are looking around and saying they are in utter shock to see what's happening at the Democratic Party. But people like you and me, Dr. Carson, have seen this, and we have seen the writing on the wall for years within the Democratic Party being anti-Israel. I think now all the enemies of Israel have come out in the open, proud of their bigotry, proud of their hatred, proud of their anti-Semitism, and we need to call it what it is, hatred directed at the Jewish people. And we will not stand for that. You will not stand for that. I will not stand for that. Not in America, not in our lifetime. Well, you know, when I left college at Yale, I was a, a proud Democrat, uh, carried the banner, uh, big supporter of Bobby Kennedy. But um, that Democratic Party is no longer there. This, right. this Democratic Party is something completely different than that one was. Right. And I suspect if JFK were around today, he would probably be a, a Republican. He'll be a Republican. <laughs> and, uh, many, of the, many of the others, many of the others would be as well. Actually, well, you know, there are a lot of Americans. JFK, the ultra right. <laughs> yeah, they would. <laughs> there, there, there are a lot of Americans who kind of say, "To heck with it all. This is not our concern." You know, the war in Gaza, that, that, why are we getting involved in this? What would you tell Americans who want to take a nonchalant attitude here? Look, Israel's enemies are our enemies. I'm not saying send American troops to the Middle East. I don't want to send any American troops to the Middle East. But we can certainly stand with Israel and defend Israel because Israel is fighting the same enemy we are fighting, Iran. Unfortunately, right now, we have a senile president and an administration that does not understand that Iran is our diehard enemy. You know, we hear the chants in Iran, death to Israel, death to America. Israel is the little Satan. America is the big Satan. Iran right now is trying to not just wipe Israel off the map. They want to control, complete control over the world because they are driven by a messianic vision. Right now, they want to bring an end to the world. Right now, we have Iranian spies that work within the administration. We have Iranians uh, cells all throughout the country. Look at all the Iranians that came, that got smuggled through the uh, Mexican border. I mean, what do you think is going to happen if we get into war with Iran? But somehow this administration, Biden, whether he was a vice president under Obama or whether right now he is the president, they keep uh, cozying up to Iran. They keep giving pallets of cash to Iran. Uh, you know, Obama sent it in the middle of the night on pallets uh, at airport and cash. Biden wires them six billion. I mean, how can we allow this to happen? We are underestimating the enemy, but the enemy is here. Israel and us are on the same side in this fight. That's why we need to stand with Israel and support Israel. Our people need to wake up uh, before it's too late. Yes. And all the signs are there about what's going to happen. And uh, we just need to be brave and we have to think about what is right. 
And we need to be much more concerned about this than we are, quite frankly, about the football game on Sunday. Because we're talking about not only our, our immediate future, but we're talking about the future for our kids and our grandkids. Yep. And can you uh, tell us one more time uh, the website for Act for America and where can people get your book? Uh, people can go to actforamerica.org, A-C-T-F-O-R, America.org. We named the organization Act for America. Now, think about America, not hope for America, not pray for America, but Act for America. Because you can think and hope and pray. I do, Dr. Carson, you do, everybody does who loves this country. But the time for getting educated is over. Now is the time for action. Join us, go to actforamerica.org. You'll be able to uh, get my books on our website instead of getting it from Amazon. For a tax-deductible donation, you'll be able to help us and get the book autographed at the same time. Go to actforamerica.org right now and join us. Well, Brzee, thank you. you. This has been extremely enlightening. And, you know, I, I hope it gets seen by a lot of people, and I hope that they will tell other people to look at it because the education about what's really going on will, I think, change a lot of minds. So thank, thank you for being courageous. You know, you could be doing anything you want, but you're out there fighting. And uh, we appreciate you very much. Thanks for being with thank us Thank you, Dr. Carson. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me with you. Okay. And we will be right back with my closing segment in one minute. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. everyone got a lot out of that uh, conversation with Brzee Gabriel. You know, there is a lot going on over there in the Middle East 
and it's important to understand it. That's your prescription for this week. Spend a little time learning about what's going on, learning about what happened when Palestinians came into Lebanon and why so many of the Arab countries are reluctant to take Palestinians in. Understand what's going on in Gaza and the history. Because if you just listen to the news media, you'll get a slanted story. You really need to understand the history of these areas and, and what is going on and the relationship to Israel to be able to put it in context and really understand what's going on and not be so easily manipulated. So let that be your goal for this next week. And uh, remember, get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, free of charge, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and tell other people about us and rate us and review us because we need to spread common sense big time. It is sorely lacking, and we need people to understand the urgency of the situation that we find ourselves in on many levels in this country right now. And if people are nonchalant and they don't care, we're going to lose the America that has been so good to so many of us. And remember the cornerstone principles of faith, liberty, community, and life. We'll see you next week.